Welcome to this week's episode of Techpreneur Radio. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Nader Dabit, a self-taught software engineer who tells his story about how he went from selling clothes to independent tech consultant, making $400,000 per year, and then working as a developer advocate at Amazon. We get into cloud computing and tips for self-education in the fields of software engineering. Enjoy the episode. Uh, welcome to another episode of Techpreneur Radio. Today, I'm talking to Nader Dabit. Uh, Nader is a he works at AWS right now, but before he's worked as a consultant, uh, is a self-taught developer and has over, I want to say 12 years of experience uh, as a developer. Um, right at, I think nine actually, or, or I'm, I'm trying to think. So 2012 was like my first job. So, and we're in 2020, so like eight or nine years. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So, but you are self-taught. You taught yourself everything pretty much and you've worked at different places uh, and that's kind of awesome. So it's super awesome to have you on the, on the, on the call today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So let's, let's chat. Let's talk a little bit about how you got to where you are now, just briefly, just to give a little bit of context. Um, and then we can dive into uh, cloud computing and the new frontier of uh, modern day, I guess, like computer systems, because we've gone through a big revolution and we can, get into that later definitely i mean um and this is a really good topic because i think that this is kind of something that i've been striving for my entire career kind of where we are becoming to see the current you know ecosystem today which is really really cool but uh but yeah to give a recap about my past like how i got got here um i started programming like i said around 2012 and at this point I was 29 years old and I had not actually ever been a programmer and I didn't even, uh, you know, go to college for programming. I didn't even go to college at all, actually. And I was kind of just living in Mississippi doing, you know, random things. My father owned a clothing store and I would work for him sometimes. And then I would also quit and go like try other things sometimes, but I always kind of had this fallback mechanism so I could go work for him and make, you know, minimum wage or plus commission which was like decent money for me at the time. Um, not a lot of expenses. I was single and all that stuff. Living in Mississippi, like low cost of living. I got into programming though by creating a WordPress site for his business to create a e-commerce store to sell suits. And during this time, I kind of fell in love with programming. I was using WordPress, but I did learn PHP to an extent. Very, very little actually. I just learned how to do like really minor changes and stuff like that but I learned a little bit of CSS, HTML. And it was kind of a combination of that being one of the first things that I'd ever done that became successful. And also me not hating it while I was doing it, kind of combined into something I was like, oh, this is gonna be something I can actually try to make as a career. Cause pretty much everything I tried up until that point really didn't work. So um, in my search for a job, there wasn't anything in Mississippi. And I had maybe six months of experience just from from doing that and also maybe nine months of experience actually from doing that and, and taking courses on lynda.com and, and YouTube and all of these other places. So I felt like I could maybe get hired somewhere. So I started sending out my resume and didn't have any luck in, in Mississippi. I didn't really even have any luck in the Southeast United States. So I was like, you know, if I really want to do this, I'm going to take a job anywhere and I'll just move there. So I got a job offer in LA after submitting resumes really all over the United States focusing kind of on the east and west coast and I moved there and I worked in LA for maybe a year year and a half through a few different jobs because I actually got fired in my first job after being there for like 
two and a half, three months because I really <laughs> took a job where I felt like in the resume, I was like, okay, like I was, I was, I was maybe not, I wouldn't say I'm lying on my resume, but I would say that like, I kind of overstated, embellishing, embellished it a little bit, but, <laughs> but I was, but I'm the type of person that I feel like I can sometimes learn quickly on the job, but this was just way over my head. I mean, I got there and I was kind of a failure, but, but the people that I was working with were the most amazing developers. Really, I still, to this point, I would say I would put them up there with the top of anyone I've ever worked with because they were very kind and considerate. They helped me understand like a lot of things I just had never known because I'd never worked on the team before. And they, they took me to meetups. They, they introduced me to conferences and stuff like, like that, which really I owe that to kind of where I, I am now because I got really involved in doing those types of community events, which really was the game changer for me in my career. So after that, moved back to Mississippi, worked at a bunch of random startups and tech companies here and did a little bit of uh, remote work back in California with some of those old clients. And then over time decided to get into consulting. I, I specialized in React Native and kind of wrote a book on it. And that led to a lot of opportunities and I ended up quitting and going out on my own for a year and a half. I had a really successful consulting career for maybe a year and a half total full-time, but really I was doing a little bit of um, consulting part-time for the first two and a half years. So over the course of like four years, I was doing consulting full and part-time. And I actually contributed to an AWS open source library. And that's kind of how I got my job here at AWS. I met the people on that team and they were building at the time Amplified JS, which hadn't launched yet. And I was helping them create an example project in React Native, which was, was my specialty at the time. And I was getting really burnt out by consulting and I wanted to learn something new, but in consulting, a lot of times you're spending all of your time billing and, and invoicing and you just don't have a lot of time to learn. And this gave me the opportunity to kind of take a step back, still make a good money, um, learn something that I didn't know before. And that's kind of how I landed here at AWS in January of 2018. And I've been here ever since. Awesome. I just want to give some context because like some people might not know what, what some of the things are. So like uh, PHP, that's all those like word, word, uh, WordPress, all those like websites are web dev technologies. And then like react native is, is this hybrid technology where you build it once and then it launches to both iOS and Android, um, with one code base. And then, uh, what was the other thing that you said? Uh, AWS open source. <laughs> oh, AWS yeah. Amplify. Yeah. So AWS, yeah, Amazon AWS web services. My team. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I kind of uh, knew your track. I want it's really interesting how you went from web and then you went to mobile and then you just like moved into like a whole new like production product. Like this is a huge product that has hundreds of thousands of users and you know, stuff like that. Um, so what is your, how do you, how would you say is like your process, like learning new things quickly? Like what's, what is your like strategy for that? Uh, and then we can get into like, you know, um, more, other other topics, but I think it's super interesting how you learned all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm very fortunate, and I think a lot of developers that you know have stuck with it long enough to get a job may or may not feel this way. But a lot of a lot of times, I really just enjoy learning anyway because I've you know gotten to the point where I like to program and stuff. So I think that is very helpful. Yeah, if you if you want to learn and if you enjoy learning, it just makes it a little easier. But I'm also very particular about what I learn. I see it, you know. If you're on Twitter or if you're on Reddit or anywhere, social media, 
and you're in tune with the programming community, you're going to see a million new things coming out like every day. And it's hard to really figure out like what you want to learn. So I'm very, very picky, I would say about what I learned. But when I see something that I'm really interested in, then I will actually set aside time to go ahead and, and, and just dive into it, you know, as much as I can. And I'll get to a point where I'm either I can either spend a couple of hours and I can say, okay, this is something I want to continue learning or I'll just completely cut it off and stop learning it. And I think that's an efficient way for me to learn because (laughs) yeah, that that way I'm not wasting my time just dibbling and dabbling here and there. I'm kind of like all in on something or I'm not. And then therefore you can kind of just get a lot of knowledge about something because you're not wasting your time with a lot of other stuff. That that's kind of the way I, I do things and it's worked pretty well for me. And I'm a little obsessive. So if I find something I go all in on, I really go way all, all in on it to the point where I want to become one of the most knowledgeable people, people I know about it. That way I can teach other people about it, which deepens you know, my learning in the future, I guess you would say. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely become a specialist, uh, which is awesome, especially if you're doing like consulting for certain technologies that are new and may not have that many specialists. And you can obviously charge more for that for being um, a thought leader in the field. So that's, I think that's super valuable. Uh, I was just looking for my questions here that I was going through. Um, So um, yeah, that's kind of talking about motivation. And like, I I guess that this, you're just self-learner. You kind of find something you're really passionate about and you stick with it. So I kind of, now I want to switch gears over and talk a little bit more about like, where do you see the future in terms of cloud computing? So just for a little bit of context, when computers first came out, like it's, I think this is super interesting to see when computers first came out, they, they would take up a whole room, right? You need a whole building to like a very, very large room, but now you can have one on your phone, which is like incredible, the computing power that we have nowadays. But what's also interesting is that we're moving towards a model where the computers that we have on premises are more expensive than computers that we have managed by other companies, be it Azure, AWS, Google Cloud. Um, so what I'm referring to is like this, this transition back to how we were before. Um, and nowadays it's called cloud computing. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I've, I'm really interested in, in this idea of futurism. And it's kind of like, you know, this, this, I would say quote unquote feel that some people think is just stupid and some people think it's awesome. And it's a little bit of both. It is, it's kind of stupid, but it's also kind of awesome. And, and there's really interesting people that, that call themselves futurists. And I love reading about what those people say and the predictions they have. And a lot of times they're just completely out there, but a lot of times they're pretty spot on, but just, just being in, in, in that space and listening to these people talk, it really excites me. And that's another reason kind of why this, topic also excites me because I really do like to look into the future and and talk about what's going on in different spaces and programming. And I think it's also beneficial if you're a developer or someone really, you don't have to be a developer, right? You can be anyone in any field, but if you can predict what's going to be big or popular in the future and you can make yourself become good at that thing, then you have stability in your career, either as an independent worker or working for someone else. So for me, the things that I like to focus on are things that I think are going to be big. And, and then if you find something you think is going to be big and you, you have the opportunity to, to kind of specialize in that thing, you can reap the benefits in the future. So as far as cloud computing is concerned, you know, I'm not someone that can predict the future in that. I can give my experiences and kind of 
predict what I think is going to be big. And what I typically will do is kind of also go out and find all of the smartest people in the world and read what they're talking about and follow them on Twitter and read their papers and their blog posts. And, you know, the way that I see it is that we have this idea of like quote unquote serverless. And if you, if you ever, you know, been close or tuned into the cloud computing space, you probably know what that means. But if you don't, it's essentially, it's essentially was coined when the first person came up with the idea of, instead of kind of managing your own infrastructure, you're just paying for a function runtime that you can just use. And then when you're done with it, you're not, you're not using it anymore. So instead of kind of creating a server and creating a, um, you know, an API and maintaining that and only, you know, you're, you're paying for it regardless for using it. Instead, you have this, this idea of like a function that just spins up whenever you hit the endpoint or whenever you invoke it. And then when it goes away, it's not, it's no longer there. And the only time that you pay for that computing is when it's in use. And therefore you're only paying for your compute time. So if you're someone like creating a startup and you don't want to pay for $20,000 of AWS bill a month, because you have all, you don't want to pay for all this infrastructure. If you can build it in a serverless way, you don't have to pay for that compute power or that compute usage until you actually have users. So this idea of just a function runtime is actually expanded to more of like a philosophy of serverless computing. And serverless computing is essentially saying that you don't build something unless um, it hasn't already been built. So serverless is kind of like a combination of serverless functions and managed services to kind of mm. take a step back, by the way. That's kind of like what the new, I would say, philosophy is. And like um, managed services are things like if you have the need to create an authentication flow in your app, instead of building that entire backend service from scratch, you might find someone that's done it already and pay them to use their version of it. And right. um, hopefully if it's serverless, then you're not going to pay for the service itself. You're only going to pay for its usage. That makes sense. So, uh, so like, I think everything is moving to this, this serverless space. That's kind of like my endpoint. So I think that you're going to see more and more, you know, services and, and features available in this serverless paradigm. And, and that it's, and it's starting to happen that way. But also if you read some of the papers that, if, that were put out, uh, one of my favorites is uh, from Berkeley, and it's called then the the most recent one that they've done around cloud computing, I believe, uh, is called cloud Com cloud pro cloud programming simplified, a uh, Berkeley view on serverless computing, and their big uh, prediction is that in the future serverless computing will be even cheaper than server full. It'll be even cheaper to kind of do it this way, because right now, right. if you kind of can predict your usage, it's still a little cheaper to manage your own servers, but they're basically saying that not only will it be more you know, efficient, but it'll also be cheaper. Right, and it's just a flashback from history because when, when you had to run computers back in the day, you had punch cards and you had only about an hour of time that you could use your computers for, and you paid for that hour of time. So now it's even, it's even less. So you're not even playing per time. You're just playing per function. So, and, and like people can, I guess like there's a lot of new programming languages coming out nowadays that are more focused on like functional programming, which is basically just passing around functions. So if you can write your code in a certain way that you don't have to have a server just running without usage uh, and just have those functions being invoked in like a sequence or in parallel or whatever, 
I think that that's, that's super beneficial. And I think they're, the engineering is trying to catch up to this, this wave that's happening. Um, yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about like, what's the, what are like, what are the benefits of like, uh, of like serverless cloud computing for businesses. So talking a little bit more about like scale availability, pricing, lack of like a reduced complexity and how that brings down costs and overhead. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that goes into it. Well, first of all, the, you know, you mentioned the lower cost. If you're a startup and you have um, a, a certain amount of runway, as far as money is concerned, would it make more sense to spend like $50,000 a month on infrastructure that you may or not, uh, you may or may not use, or would you rather spend zero and then scale it up as you actually, you know, have users. And it makes so much more sense to do this in a mm -hmm. serverless way, because if you have zero users, you want to be able to conserve your money, especially, right? But let's say right. you get a million users tomorrow and your infrastructure bill goes up by $20,000 a month. That's actually not a bad thing because then you can go to your investors and, see, and say, look, we have a million new customers and uh, therefore we're like successful. So give us more money um, <laughs> if we need it to kind of continue, continue running. But it's hard to go and ask someone for money if you don't have users. So I think it just makes a lot of sense. You're essentially uh, trading capital expense for variable expense. You're, right. you're, you're reducing that cap capital expenditure. So, you know, that's, that's one thing, pricing. Um, another thing is the ability to experiment faster because, mm -hmm. you know, you're not actually spending all of the time to create all of these things from scratch. You're able to just hook into a bunch of things that are already there and build out features quickly. And therefore, you're able to try new things quickly without having a lot of expense, not only in money, but in time and, and, and developer hours. So you're having, you know, the ability to try things out and spin them down without that costing you a lot of time. And you're able to experiment and try new things. And, and, and really in this world, the people that are able to try new things and, and see what works and, and, and keep pivoting until they find what works are the ones that seem to be doing the best. So, you know, that's, that's you're saving time, you're saving money. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of benefits to it. And yeah, that reduced and, complexity, you know, less code to maintain. So, right. And I was thinking more along the lines of also less developers to maintain because that's also a pretty big problem. As engineering teams get bigger and bigger, then you have to have like engineering managers, and that just gets more complicated. Um, I don't know if you have any experience with like a team getting super big, uh, and maybe you started using like serverless or cloud computing instead of having to manage forty engineers, for example. Just a number to throw out there, but. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, if you if you if you have less code to maintain, you you have less engineers that you need to to pay on the payroll because there's just less stuff, less less work. Yeah, for sure. And then, do you know? Like, I wanted to talk also like about like availability and like if, for example, like this service comes out tomorrow and you have global users, for example. What, what's what's kind of the drawback just like my audience might not know like if if you have um let's say you started this new like music application and you have users from all over the world uh how how does a, a infrastructure like a global infrastructure benefit you instead of having like a local kind of infrastructure yeah so you'll basically have the this idea of uh, availability in different parts of the world and um you're gonna be having your 
distribution closer to where that user lives and it's going to just be faster. And then of course, you know, when you're working, when you're dealing with a cloud provider, it doesn't have to be AWS, let's say Azure, Google, whatever cloud provider you're using, they're going to have, you know, an expected uptime that, that they're going to be giving you and you're going to be signing on to that expected uptime. And that's for them to deal with. You don't, you don't have to deal with that. If, if something, if a, if a server, if your, if your house burns down and that's where your server is, that's your problem to deal with, right? And, and you have to kind of figure, figure out how to, to maintain servers. And if you want it to be global, you're going to maintain servers all around the world. And, and that's really, really not something Expensive. that you want to be doing. You want to be focusing on your business differentiators that you're kind of writing into your code. The last thing you want to deal with is hardware, right? So, I mean, um, that's kind of definitely a big benefit and, and just not having to deal with any of that, any of that stuff you know yourself and then and, and then and then another thing that kind of goes along in my opinion like cl close to that is that let's say that you and we're talking about availability and, and even security here let's say that you you do need this authentication service and you need it to kind of be extremely secure and you want it to work and you need all these features do you think that the team that you're going to put together is going to be able to build that better than a team that's been maintaining an authentication service for the past six years? And, and the answer is, it's probably oh, no, not. but let's say that you do do that. Like what are the chances that you're going to have that team and put that together and make it more efficient? These people have been focusing on this single problem for years. They, they've been focusing on all these edge cases. All these customers have all these problems and they're trying to solve them. And then you're able to just hook into all of that value that that's, that's, it just makes so much sense when possible, in my opinion, to kind of do that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're essentially like amortizing the cost off to someone else. Like if it doesn't make a difference in your business, then there's no point to like, kind of, you know, like if you're saying, Oh, we're building an authentication system that's off blockchain, then that's different, right? It's not just going to be like a database authentication system. Right. So that's different. But if that's not your business, then it doesn't make sense that you're just wasting all the time. That's the whole build versus buy kind of principle. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, exactly. It's kind of almost like a variation of crowdsourcing, um, uh, value. Like you, you're getting all these, you're, you're bundling all these people in the world together's money and everyone's, you know, paying for this really great team to build something awesome. And you all get to use it for, for not much money when you actually, in my opinion, you know, what not much, much money is, is, is something you could actually probably argue about. Like it could be more money, it could be less money. I think it just depends. But but for the most part, if you look at the amount of, of developer dollars that you would need to kind of rebuild that thing and maintain it and make sure it, it's usually for many cases, for the most part, I would even say cheaper to use a managed service than to kind of roll it your own. But it, I guess it depends on the circumstance and on the managed service. Sometimes I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not the type of person that says serverless is right for everything. I think there's always going to be times, I would say, that, you know, rolling your own might make sense for your own needs, right? But for the most part, I think these, these discussions that we're kind of having, I would say, are for the most part. Right. And so for people that are trying to get started in here and trying to, like, explore the whole field of, like, cloud computing, um, as somebody who's, like, kind of taught themselves programming from the ground up, what is your like advice slash path that they should take? Uh, let's say they know some, like, I don't want to give you just like somebody who knows nothing. Let's, let's, let's say that they've been working with all their technologies. They've been, they've been playing around. They know like a little bit of HTML, CSS, maybe some JavaScript. 
but that's pretty much it. They have no experience with cloud at all. So, I mean, I always, always go for the lowest barrier to entry and try to make the easiest to run Hello World app just to kind of get started. That's kind of always my, my go-to when I'm teaching or when I'm writing documentation. And then from there you build on to make something more complex because a lot of times people get hung up at the very entry point and then they just give up. And that's happened to mm -hmm. me so many times. So right. I try to do that when I'm teaching other people. But let's say that you're kind of listening and you do want to get into cloud computing. So for for me to be not, and I know this, like me and you both work at AWS. So we're like, I could easily yeah. just say, you know, use AWS and use Amplify. Um, but I'm going to instead, I'm going to say, I would I would look at a few of the different options and try, try all of them. And, and, and the options that I think are good for new developers are going to be AWS Amplify, which is AWS specific. They're going to be the serverless framework, which is going to be, you know, um, agnostic to cloud providers. I believe you can use it with a few different cloud providers. I would look at Firebase functions because that's kind of um, a, a, a way to get up and running with it pretty, pretty easily. Those are kind of the main ones that I would say that work for the quote unquote, like real cloud providers to work, you know, directly with cloud computing. And, um, you know, the team that I work on is the AWS Amplify team. And one of our goals is to actually make the onboarding to cloud development easier. And that's, that's our big, big thing. And if I was to put the, the ease of use, I would probably put uh, Amplify and Firebase as like the easiest to get started with. And then serverless framework is, is a little bit harder because you do have to understand some stuff around what the, you know, what's actually going on. Whereas with Amplify, it's more of like a category based approach where you're like, oh, I want hosting or I want authentication. And we handle all of the actual infrastructure as code mm -hmm. under the hood for you. But with serverless framework, it's also really powerful. So those are all good. And then if you want to get, if you want to get a little bit uh, more complex, but something really cool, it's called cloud development kit CDK. And this essentially allows you to write your own uh, programming language and deploy infrastructure. So you could write TypeScript or Python or whatever your favorite programming language is. I think they support maybe a half dozen at this point and deploy uh, infrastructure, but it's a little bit harder because you do have to understand something of what's going on <laughs> with, with the cloud backend. And, and, and CDK, I believe, is only AWS. It is for sure only AWS. What's, what's the serverless framework you're talking about? Does that have anything to do with like how things are architected? So the serverless framework, um, it's, it's kind of a, a, an abstraction over CloudFormation and it's just a more concise version of CloudFormation and a little bit, I would say, easier to, to get up and running with. So instead of having to maybe write 30 lines of code for this thing, you might just write two or three lines of, of configuration. And gotcha. um, it's, yeah, so it, it was essentially first launched as a framework called JAWS. And I believe the first thing that it enabled was creating Lambda functions and API gateway events to invoke those. But now it's expanded to where you can add uh, a lot of other AWS infrastructure. So it's not just serverless. You can also do DynamoDB and, and AppSync and a bunch of other things. And it's great. They're all great. You know, I would say like, if you're listening, try all of those things out and figure out what, what works the best for you. I think a lot of people, you know, want to learn AWS just because there's so many jobs and so much opportunity in this space um, that, you know, you, you would might choose one of the tools based on the, the actual infrastructure backend cloud provider that you want to use even. So take that right. into consideration. Yeah. And also I have found that they're more or less the same. Like if you do one, you can kind of learn the other, like it's not exactly the same, but the theory behind the, the things are the same. So that's helpful. 
if you decide that you don't like AWS, you can just use another one and then you can just go back if you have to find a job or something. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I could see that for sure. Yeah, and I agree with that. Do you have, uh, I have, I just want to like kind of go back a little bit. What What is your like balanced life like in shifting to a working at a corporate company from consulting? Just to give you something like from left field entirely. Moving away from the cloud yeah. computing. I'm getting super technical. I mean, <laughs> it's a little different for me to be to be quite honest because I work uh, remotely and I have been working remotely for two and a half years. So mm -hmm. I was consulting remotely and I was traveling a lot. And then my new job, with AWS as a developer advocate is essentially an equal amount of travel up until coronavirus happened. I was doing a lot of presentations at events. Mm -hmm. I was working remotely. So honestly, the work-life balance changed in the sense that I was actually less stressed and, and working a little less than when I was being an independent consultant. But overall, the, my quality of life improved and I really have really immensely enjoyed working on a team with a lot of smart people that know a lot of stuff that I don't know. And I've learned so much over the past two and a half years. And I feel like I know even, I mean, I have, I have even more to learn at this point than I thought I did two and a half years ago, just because the more that you learn, the more that you realize that you don't know. And when you're working with all of these like amazing people, it's kind of like, you know, it's a fire hose of knowledge, but it's really cool to be able to just go on the, on chime on our internal message board and be able to just ask some engineer that has been doing this stuff for like 20 years or maybe this person like with the Stanford or something like really cool and just ask them a question and be able to get an answer. It's just, it's just pretty awesome. And that's one of the things that you can't really get, I would say as easily if you're just being an independent consultant is, is have is working with all these amazing people. And how, how are you talking? I'm talking and then uh, for the work life balance part, like what did you feel like you were working like crazy hours in consulting versus now you're, I don't know. What's your, what's your experience with that? Like I've heard consulting is just terrible <laughs> with the hours thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it just depends, you know, I mean, it depends how busy you are and it depends your, your, your work ethic and your motivations and stuff. For me, it was kind of like, I went from making, I think it was like my full-time job was making around 65 or 70,000 a year. And I was doing a little bit of like hourly work as a, as a, as a side projects and stuff. So I was, you know, making decent money and I went from that into consulting where I was making the first contract that I had in consulting was paid about twice as much than I would make in a whole year, my first job. And it did that in about 15 days. It was a 15 day on-site contract oh, split up over the course of like two months. So when that happened, I was, I'm, I'm, I've been working my whole career, my whole life really to get to a point like that. Right. So I was just like blown away by all this opportunity and money I was making. And it made me actually probably work a little too hard because I just was trying to get it while the kitten was good or whatever in my yeah. head. I was like, this can't, this is too good to be true. It's going to like end sometime soon. So I'm going to just bust my ass and, and, and make as much money as possible. And then when you're doing consulting, you're doing any hourly contracting, you often put a, a dollar amount on your time. So therefore anytime I, I, I had, I had as, and I really had a successful consulting business. So I had as much hourly work as I wanted. So if I was to spend two hours um, leaving work early to go hang out with my kid, or if I wanted to take an hour lunch break to go, you know, eat with my wife or any of that stuff, I would, I would put in a dollar amount on my time and it made it, it made me less likely to, to do the things that were actually probably more important in my life. And that really stressed me out. So going from that to AWS, um, I have deliverables. And as long as I get that work done, 
then then I, I don't feel obligated to do any more work. So I'm I'm able to kind of relax a little more and hang out with my family. So I'm less and enjoy it. Enjoy yeah, life. I enjoy my life a little more. <laughs> yeah, man. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. It's good to hear that you're thank you. You're yeah, less I'm, stressed I'm, I'm, than I'm you. enjoying it right now. <laughs> you made it, bro. For you sure. got it. <laughs> well this is awesome. I didn't know about all this stuff before. I mean this is great. Like this is crazy how much how much how long how, how like your journey has kind of just been like kind of on the later side of it right like like this transformation kind of happened pretty recently um like the first yeah, yeah absolutely the first half was kind of just like just like eating crap like for like the first fuck like the first years is just like the struggle you know yeah it was a, it was definitely the struggle and i was the type of person that would literally take any job at, at certain points in my career literally the worst jobs and i was and in, in hindsight, they were the worst jobs. And and now, like, I would probably not take those. But at the time, I was just just unbelievably grateful to have those opportunities. And, and, and I didn't realize they were bad. They were just, like, for me, making 50K was just unbelievable. And, and to me, mm-hmm. and it still is. I mean, if, it's, if I look back to what I was making before, like, 50,000 is, is still amazing. And I would be completely happy with that. So it's kind of like, you know. A, trans- a transition in your career like a lot of people probably go through where you know you have opportunities to, to do better and, and you take advantage of those opportunities yeah for sure I agree 100% like I don't know like my parents they're also just like come from like a pretty humble background like my my parents have never had like more than a minimum wage paying job so like I know the struggle is real uh, and so I always feel very like pressure to just be working all the time so i i agree 100 percent. like we didn't come from much uh we came here when and i was like two years old so i came to us from cuba um oh wow so, yeah that's awesome i bet they're pretty uh pretty happy with the way you've turned out huh <laughs> yeah yeah can't complain honestly <laughs> um that's cool yeah well thank you so much for your time i think this is a great interview super helpful yeah man it's been it's been great to, to talk about all this stuff uh, i really enjoy talking about i really like talking about consulting and i also talk like to talk about cloud computing so we cover two of my favorite subjects that's awesome and i think you're really actually very knowledgeable like in the in both of the fields so i think it's just great it's a great win-win situation <laughs> well yeah it's anytime you want to just chat about anything hit me up i'll be happy to come back yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually probably like take a look at your book, honestly, um, the serverless one, because I think I'm super yeah. bullish on it. Like, I think I just think it's, it makes so much so much sense from like a business standpoint um, that it's just like I see where everything is going. Like, it's it's similar. Like, if you can just see like these trends in a lot of other places too, like the whole like API economy. Like when you when you basically pay for an API service instead of building out Google Maps again, or for example, when you like people that own like private jets, they don't actually own a jet. They just own a membership where somebody like they just pay a membership and they have like all these jets they can take out whenever they want. Um, it's, it's just like, you can see all these trends and people don't even like the ride sharing thing. Like you don't pay for a car, you Absolutely. just pay for the service. So I don't know. So yeah. Yeah. When you bullish. put it like that, it's actually true. There's so many things that are moving in that direction and in, in, in general enabled by technology. So it's, it's, yeah. it's happening everywhere. Yeah. So I just want to take advantage and, and learn as much as possible in that field. Yeah. I think that, uh, 
I think the cool thing is that a lot of companies are seeing this too, and they're making all these amazing APIs that you can also subscribe to and use that are outside of the major cloud providers. So things like mm -hmm. Cloudinary, you know, um, are, are really interesting to see that that they're not really part of a main, major cloud provider, but they're very popular. So you can like plug in all these little puzzle pieces and build some really cool stuff in a way that you couldn't have 10 years ago without a massive team. And you can do it faster than that whole team could have so done. Fast. So fast, yeah, yeah. There's like no, there's no real limits anymore. Like paying for things, security, like everything is just at, the, at your fingertips, you know? Just read some documentation, plug some things together and it's working, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nader. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a good day. Yo, yo, yo. Thank you so much for making it to the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend, a colleague, someone you know, someone you don't know, whoever it is. If you think they like technology, if you think they